You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. Bob Tatum, damn you, every single time, whether it's Adam Silver, whether it's Mark Tatum, we can't catch a break. No NBA lottery has ever gone in the way of the Charlotte Hornets in a way that we would get something better than expected. I think we got Baron Davis when we weren't expected to jump in the top three one time, but then you took him away from us when you went to New Orleans. We couldn't even hold on to that for five years. Baron Davis leaving us, that was the only draft pick that we were allowed to have, and we actually kind of hit on it. We did hit on it. Baron Davis, third overall, fine. And then you take him away to New Orleans, and now here we are all excited for Zion Williamson. A lot of people had good feelings yesterday if you check Hornets Twitter out. A lot of people felt really good. We felt good. It's that damn feeling you get every time the draft lottery is here. You think, hey, somebody's got to get that number one overall spot. It's going to happen sometime where the 1% chance actually comes to fruition. Why couldn't it be for the Charlotte Hornets yesterday? Sure enough, the Hornets are picking 12th. And to be honest with you guys, it's probably just best that we didn't drop to 13. There was a 10% chance that we could drop to the 13th overall selection. That's probably what you should have expected. Yet we always have this hope, and here we are selecting 12th overall. So the New Orleans Pelicans, by the way, again, of course they get Zion Williamson. Anthony Davis wasn't enough for them in 2012. I thought Jay Williams talking really before they revealed the picks. He was discussing the change type of athlete that comes into the NBA. What constitutes change not only for their team, but in somewhat the way the game is played or just some of these really significant pieces at number one overall. Guys that you knew were going to change the game at number one overall, and we knew who those picks were going to be since the lottery has been about. He talks about Patrick Ewing in 1985. We all knew Patrick Ewing was going to be that first overall selection, and for the New York Knicks at some time that they actually caught a break in the lottery. So they get Patrick Ewing at number one overall. I can remember... Anthony Davis was that guy in 2012. You get a once-in-a-generational type talent in Anthony Davis. And then, of course, Zion Williamson, a unique basketball player. We have not seen anybody like him before. You do not take anybody else number one overall. And sure enough, the Pelicans get him just in time to make up for the Anthony Davis loss, if it even comes now. You know, David Griffin really trying to keep AD down there in New Orleans. We'll see if he's able to, but of course they're able to get Zion Williamson after that. Life of a Charlotte Hornets fan, it's rough. Like, I understand it was a 1% chance of happening. I get that. We shouldn't have expected them to jump into the top five, which only had a top four, which only had a 4.8% chance of happening. I get that we were just setting ourselves up for failure. It still sucks. It still sucks. And I want to get that top five pick in a way when we're actually contending for the playoffs just like we were and we actually get some good luck and if we are so bad to where we deserve the number one overall selection I hope we actually get it at some point rather than 2012 and of course the Pelicans get Anthony Davis rather than us who get MKG 
This is how things work here in Charlotte, and we should be used to it by now. It still sucks. I'm still not used to it. This is Lockdown Hornets presented by the Lockdown Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. You can find the show on most social media platforms at Lockdown Hornets. You can find myself on Twitter at Walker Mail and Doug on Twitter at Doug Branson, L-O-H. We're going to talk a little bit about the lottery, just elsewhere what happened in the NBA with the other teams and how they fared in the lottery last night. Also, we will continue our draft profiles today. We've got Romeo Langford up on the board. It's a lot of fun. We'll talk with Jared Morris of the Assembly Hall. It's the assemblycall.com, I should say, a play on words for Assembly Hall, which is where the Hoosiers play their home game. So assemblycall.com's Jared Morris. He'll come on to evaluate Romeo Langford's lone year with the Indiana Hoosiers basketball program. And then I guess we'll start with the Hornets getting that 12th overall selection. So now these profiles where we've had Jackson Hayes talked about by a one Westcott Eberts, one of the best names out there. Romeo Langford is going to be somebody that they could possibly select at number 12 overall. You know, I don't think a Darius Garland is going to fall that way. I mean, Cam Reddish, if he fell, even that would be a little bit more of a drop for him. I don't think he's going to fall all the way to 12 overall. But we do have some of these other players, and we'll continue to do some more draft profiles as we go along here. Just at 12 overall, who is going to be in play? Right? Like, that's the question we have to ask ourselves now. It was fun when Kobe White was in that running. Now you see him last night being Jay Billis's top five. He's not going to last to number 12 anymore. That was fun. He hadn't done anything, and he's still going to vault all the way up to the top five. So the Hornets aren't going to get a shot at him. Uh, you guys know I'm starting to fall in love with Brandon Clark's tape. I really like Jackson Hayes, though, too. Jackson Hayes, I know that's Doug. I, I know Doug gives a rose every single year to his draft prospect. Jackson Hayes seems like the guy that who he's going to give his rose to. And I like Jackson Hayes, man. He's a lot of fun. In fact, we did talk to Paul Biancardi of ESPN.com. As thorough a high school prospect evaluator as you're going to find in the basketball world, Paul Biancardi has been doing this for a long time. A lot of fun to talk about these prospects with. And here's what he had to say about Jackson Hayes and if he potentially was still on the board for the Charlotte Hornets to select. Oh, if the Hornets can get Jackson Hayes, uh, uh, that is a big win for the Hornets. I mean, not a lot of people know about this guy. He was in our ESPN Top 100 coming out of high school, and, and not a lot of people knew about him. Phenomenal physical tools. But not just physical tools where you say, okay, he's a 7-footer with a 7-3 wingspan. This guy's mobile with a soft touch, a good basketball IQ. He's still raw offensively, but his physical measurables will, will influence games right off the bat. So if Jackson Hayes is on the board when Charlotte drafts, I mean, that, that would be a huge win. I think he's going to be gone before that. I think he, he's got that much upside in the game. Yeah, that's not that reassuring that Jackson Hayes could be gone at 12. And you, it certainly looks like it. In fact, when you start to stack up the roster, you, you start to see who's picking ahead of the Charlotte Hornets. And it would make sense for them to go after maybe a guy like Jackson Hayes. You know, the Atlanta Hawks being there at number 10, you know, that would make some sense, right? If you were to go to Trey Young and then John Collins at power forward, maybe you want somewhat of a rim protector that could run the floor pretty well for you, like one Jackson Hayes. Maybe that would make some sense for them. And they have two picks. And so maybe the Atlanta Hawks would be the ones that sting you. 
you know, you see how the lottery has turned up. Jackson Hayes is somebody that probably isn't going to last there at 12. And we've become kind of locked on Jackson Hayes. We've talked about him a lot. It's just, you know, Borrego talks about a lot of those rim protectors. That's something he's mentioned quite a bit. And so Hayes would make a lot of sense. You also have, again, a Brandon Clark who would make some sense. And I've seen some people talk a lot about Bull Bull. I haven't watched a ton of film on him yet. I just watched some film on Romeo Langford. I'll give you my opinions after Jared Morse does of theassemblycall.com. Also, I've watched film on Brandon Clark. I've watched film on Jackson Hayes. I like both of those prospects. And what we'll see exactly who's going to be there at number 12. It's just you wonder if the Hornets are going to take a big guy if he's there. You know, what? what, what is... You've got Clark, Hayes, and Bull Bull are all those guys ahead of a guy like a Romeo Langford or a P.J. Washington. Is that somebody that they like the position versatility? You know, P.J. Washington has been linked to the Hornets quite a bit. A Nikhil Alexander-Walker, is that one of the secondary playmakers that James Borrego was talking about? I don't know. I don't know. It's going to be tough to see who's going to be there at number 12. It seems like we've got really the first three figured out. And then we get to a wide pool where Kobe White, DeAndre Hunter, Darius Garland, seems like a lot of those guys are going to go in the top six, seven or something overall. That would make a lot of sense. And then we'll see what the Hornets are able to select at 12 overall. But again, they've gotten 11th overall selections the last couple of years. Malik Monk, Miles Bridges, I guess it was Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And then Miles Bridges was the 12th overall selection that was traded to the Hornets. And now they will select 12th once again. Hopefully they can find somebody that's going to be a pillar of the future. We're coming from the Essex Home Studios. Thanks to 730 The Game for housing us today. But we always want to give a shout out to the Gittimer.com studios in Uptown Charlotte. If you're in sales and need help, visit Gittimer.com today to learn how they can help you do the one thing you want to do, and that's make more sales. We got Romeo Langford evaluation from Jared Morris on the other side of the break. Stick around with us here. It's LOH on the Locked On Podcast Network. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets Podcast. And Doug, don't you have an Eldon Campbell like stuffed animal type thing? Yes, I do. I got it at the last regular season home game that they had before they left for New Orleans. I, look, I love me some Eldon Campbell, but that, they, the they were just they were clearing everything out of the house because it was whatever they gave to the fans that night they didn't have to take with them to New Orleans. Get more Hornets analysis on lockedonhornets.com. Welcome back to the Locked On Hornets podcast. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and we continue to do these draft profiles as we get closer and closer to the NBA draft. A couple of guys that we're evaluating, profiling, just to see maybe who could fall all the way to the Charlotte Hornets. We'll continue our draft profiles with Jared Morris of assemblycall.com. He does have a podcast called The Assembly Call, and we're going to get his evaluation of Romeo Langford in his one year with the Indiana Hoosiers. Jared, thanks so much for joining us. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we appreciate you joining us, Jared. And as we continue to evaluate some of these guys that come in, just overall, Romeo Langford coming in, playing 32 games for Indiana. What did you think of his only year playing for the Hoosiers? I thought it was really good. You know, obviously he came in with so many expectations and so much hype because of what he did as a high school basketball player in Indiana and just kind of, you know, the special relationship that, that Indiana basketball fans develop with recruits that are as high profile as him. And so I think, you know, when he committed, 
it really felt like the sky was kind of the limit for his freshman season, you know, and then imaginations ran wild. And I think, you know, as the season went along, you know, it was a, it was a good reminder that, you know, one player isn't necessarily going to make all of the difference. And, you know, freshmen are going to go through some struggles and, you know, the, the team as a whole had a lot of struggles just because of injuries and, and different things. But I think, you know, the way that he played, the way that he developed and, and really in a lot of ways I thought progressed throughout the season, it, it didn't live up to the highest of expectations, but I don't really blame him for that because, you know, the expectations kind of came on independent of him. They were kind of a beast on their own. But I think when you look at the, at the player that he was and, you know, as a freshman to do what he did, it was one of the best freshman seasons at a school that's had a lot of you know, really great players come through. So I think overall, I was really pleased. Um, you know, the team success wasn't what we wanted. And and obviously, his production was less efficient than I'm sure he wanted. But, you know, he still did a, a lot of things. And I thought, you know, left a positive legacy, uh, even if it was only for one year. Jared, it seems like Romeo Langford was playing with a thumb injury the entire season, and he did have surgery on it and still, of course, declaring for the NBA draft. And he was apparently playing with that where it bothered him a decent amount. Uh, how did you see that injury, and just what do you know about it? Yeah, you know, it was one of those things that, you know, people kind of talked about throughout the season, you know, because you saw him with the wrap on his hand. Um, and I think, you know, right before the season, and maybe even over Christmas break, you know, he was, you know, kind of seen wearing a a wrap on his wrist. And so it, it was an issue that people were aware of. I don't know that people thought it was something that was going to need to be surgically uh, repaired, but, you know, I think it, it kind of speaks to his, his toughness, uh, you know, in a sense. I mean, he's not a guy who really ever made, you know, excuses, you know, even when things were going wrong. And I think it does perhaps explain some of the shooting issues, but I also think that, you know, if you talk to people who watched him play a ton in high school, what made him a great player, what made him a great scorer was not necessarily his shooting. He was a guy that could get really hot. And we saw that at times, you know, in the Maryland game when he hit three or four threes in the second half, like he can get hot. He can be a rhythm shooter, but that was never, you know, that was always going to be something that he was maybe marginally good at or average at and was going to have to improve upon, um, you know, and so how much did that affect it and how much, you know, does the shooting just really need to improve? I think it's more that, you know, he's got a few mechanical issues with a shot. He's a little bit of an inconsistent shooter. Um, so the risk probably explains a little bit of it, but I don't think it's one of those things where it's like, oh, you know, the risk gets fixed. He's going to magically become a 40% three-point shooter. I think it's going to be the biggest question about him projecting to the next level. It was the biggest issue, you know, he had as an offensive player in college. Uh, and while he does a ton of other things really well uh, that, you know, didn't seem to be affected by the risk, uh, you know, the shooting is one of those things that's just it's going to have to improve and I don't think the wrist explains away all of those issues. What are the things that you think he does do really well offensively? Well, he is I don't think I've ever seen a player that is as good around the basket at getting the ball up on the backboard, up on the rim and having it go in at so many different angles. You know, he's a he's a really good athlete. He's a really fluid athlete. Almost he's he's got a gracefulness about him, you know, to where he just kind of glides. And sometimes it doesn't look like he's really going that hard, and yet he's you know passing people by. And it, you know, so I think when, when you think a lot about guys who finish really well at the rim, you think of you know power guys, you know guys like Zion Williamson who just overwhelms you athletically. And I don't think Romeo does that, but he just has amazing touch, and he's tough around the rim. I mean, he'll take contact, 
Um, it, you know, I think toward the end of the season, he shied away from contact a little bit more. But I think his injuries, you know, started to mount up. He had a back issue, you know, the wrist issue, uh, you know, maybe some of just the frustration of how teams were playing him. You know, I think he shied away a little bit more from contact than he did toward the beginning of the season. But his ability to, you know, find an edge, turn the corner, especially going to his right, and then get the ball up on the rim, is it's it's just it's kind of mind-boggling at times. And that was always the most impressive thing about him. And you know, certainly I, I think, you know, I question a little bit how much that will translate, especially initially at the next level when he's playing against better athletes. But, you know, even if it doesn't translate in full, it's going to translate at least in part. And it's going to allow him to always be a guy who can go in and get buckets. Um, it, you know, so that that was always the thing to me that kind of separated him. Uh, and it really, I mean, it became the driving force behind his offense at Indiana. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, the team just didn't have enough shooting around him to space the floor plot properly to where we could really take full advantage of it. What did you think of him defensively this season? I think he's a guy that when he's engaged defensively, especially in kind of a one-on-one mono-a-mono battle, he can be really, really good. You know, he was inconsistent defensively and, 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 you know, that's been used as a criticism against him. And I suppose it's a fair one, but he's also a freshman. And I actually thought at times, you know, he showed better defensive tenacity and focus than you see in a lot of freshmen. Um, you know, I think he showed pretty good instincts, um, but you know, he would tend to be a little bit of a ball watcher and get lost on defense at times. I think that would have been corrected over time playing under a coach like Archie Miller and just becoming a more mature player who went from, you know, only being required to score in high school to now you have to play both ends at the college level. But I thought he really showed the tools that you want in a defensive player. Um, you know, and I think he's, you know, he's obviously serious about his future at the next level. So I think if you can unlock a little bit more of that focus and get it consistently, um, then he can be a, a, a really, you know, maybe not a great defender, but a really good defender that, that you can probably, you know, have guard a couple different positions because he's got the tools. And when he's locked in, it, again, as I said, you know, especially when it's like, hey, you know, you're going to go guard this guy. You've got to deny him. This is your responsibility he really showed the ability to kind of rise to the occasion and do that. Jared, is there a comp of any type of player that you can remember in the NBA that he reminds you of at all? It's <sighs> a really good question. Um, none are coming to mind, right? You know, right off the bat, I w- look, this is going to be a really, this is not a perfect uh, comp at all, but you know, one guy that does come to mind is Dwayne Wade. And again, he doesn't have that athleticism. Um, so he's going to be a Hall of Famer. No, that's fine. Well, that's great. No, it's, it's but, fine. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm with I, you. Say, I say that ju- just because of, you know, kind of the way that, that Wade liked to score, you know, getting to the basket. It was offense that was not driven by his ability to shoot, but he had really good instincts and was really good at finishing around the basket. Now, you know, I think Dwayne Wade combined, you know, the elite athleticism to where he could go up and finish, you know, finish with the dunk and finish stronger with also having the finesse. And Romeo doesn't have that. But he's that kind of, you know, kind of mid-range old, old school game. You know, I, I think he's a guy who is just a little bit in the wrong era of basketball. You know, again, if he can improve the three-point shot, you know, maybe that changes things. But, you know, one of his biggest strengths, I thought, was that he was a really good shooter in the mid-range off the dribble. The problem is, you know, that is a skill that is really devalued these days. And, you know, I, I wanted to see him do it more because even though it's not the highest efficiency shot, it's a really efficient shot for him. I mean, you look at his synergy numbers 
And he was one of the best in the country, you know, mid-range, uh, you know, off the dribble. And at times, you know, he would really get into a rhythm and reel off, you know, two, three, four of them in, the ro- in a row. And, and so I think that kind of style is what would, you would expect from him. And if he, again, if he can, you know, learn to step out, he's not, he, he never looks comfortable in catch and shoot situations from behind the arc. You know, it's almost like he catches it and shoots it really quickly and doesn't, you know, doesn't ever quite get in rhythm. And he made a few of them toward the end of the season, but he never felt comfortable doing it. And well, that's going to be a struggle for him because initially he's not going to be good enough with the ball in his hands, you know, to just have that role on an NBA team. And so can he get better at that so he can actually space the floor when he's out there as a secondary, you know, playmaker? Well, and Jared, just in hearing your early analysis, at least in that question, to hear that it sounds like he's a basketball player in the wrong era. You know, we've talked about some of his shooting deficiencies and how that might be a problem at the next level. It's alarming, right? I mean, if you're a fan of a Hornets team that is looking to draft somebody at 12 that's going to have significant value, you know, that's not exactly the most glowing review. And yet here he is, like, it looks like a very good college player, but maybe you have some real concerns about him translating that game to the NBA level. Would I be right in saying that's kind of your evaluation right now? Just how comfortable are you in taking a chance on Romeo at 12 overall if that's where the Hornets select? Uh, I think if you're committed to his development, then I think he'd be a great prospect at that point because he does have some of the athletic, you know, he has the athletic ability that you're looking for uh, and he's a hard worker and, and he's a, you know, an earnest guy that really wants to get better. And so I think I think the shooting can become passable to where the rest of his skills can flourish. But I think if you need him to step in right now and play big minutes or be a starter, you're really going to count on him. You may be disappointed, but I still think he projects into the future three, four, five years as a really, really good player, potentially a great player. I mean, that's, you know, we're one year removed from him having that kind of a scouting report and, you know, 35 games in a college season is still a pretty small sample size. So even you know, what I'm telling you is still a pretty limited experience that right. I've had with him as a player. But, but I think, you know, some of the, you know, the makeup, the, you know, the, he is, he does seem like a very team first type guy. I think those things would make me feel comfortable investing in him in the long term. I just think you maybe have to be a little bit patient with his development, especially as a shooter. All right. That was Jared Morris of assemblycall.com. He hosts a podcast called Assembly Call. We appreciate his time here on the Locked On Hornets podcast. Jared, that was really thorough. Great stuff, man. Thanks for all the help on Romeo Langford. Yeah, my pleasure. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. Did he go with Myers Leonard as his first comparison as a big man hitting from the three-point line? Oh, I mean, did I say Leonard? I meant uh, Miles Turner. Okay, <laughs> you did. I think okay. you said Miles Leonard. That was Leonard. on me. Sorry about that. That's a bad mistake. I know when I think shooting big men, Myers Leonard is the first guy that comes to mind. Absolutely. I was thinking Steve Clifford and I might be Hot the shot. same wavelength. Hot shot, there. Myers Leonard. <laughs> that's, that's his nickname. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast. Thanks to Jared Morris. Once again, go find him on assemblycall.com, the Assembly Call podcast. Pretty cool stuff from him. If you just want to learn a little bit more, maybe he does some things that we haven't talked about. Maybe he said some things that we didn't get to talk about in really that about 10-minute interview or so. But I thought it was very thorough. I thought it was really good stuff, man. And so I'll tell you what I've learned from watching a little bit of film on him just real quickly before we ended here today. I think Romeo Langford. Yeah, he's crafty, man. I'll give it. I'll give him that. You know, he's real crafty. He's not explosive. 
it's funny you watch a lot of the highlights usually you're looking for things that aren't dunks because all the viewer cares about just the normal fan all they care about is just watching a guy dunk the basketball constantly because it's a lot of fun and I'm not here to take away the fun it's just usually you have to try to navigate in between the dunks okay what does he do in a triple threat how does he drive to the basket what are some other things how does he shoot right like that's what you're kind of looking for in some highlights and it's funny you don't see any dunks from Romeo Langford all that much in college in high school I think he came in with something about like a 43 inch vertical and you could see him dunk on some guys. In the McDonald's All-American game, you got to see him play above the rim. But in college, he just didn't seem all that explosive. And it's, he's a crafty dude. I like his Euro step. He's really right-hand dominant. You know, I, I remember a guy like, again, watching Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I'm sorry, but I just remember him using his left hand so much. And even Miles was used as right hand. I thought he was very good in a way that could be considered ambidextrous. Like, I liked Miles in that regard, at least. Romeo Langford, when you talk about a guy just handling the ball up there, I like his handles okay. I think his handles are actually fine. It's just he's so right-hand dominant. You see him drive to the basket constantly on the right side. If he does drive to the left side, rarely it's a finish with the right hand and he's just not crazy explosive but I do think that he's crafty enough to get to the basket and I do kind of like that his shooting mechanics they look bad I don't think that they're unfixable I actually the one thing I do like about his shot is I feel like Romeo Langford does come to a dead stop usually like every once in a while he'll let his momentum carry him off of his balance but I do like that he actually stops and he goes straight up and down with most of his shots the problem is is his feet are pointed in like chicken feet and he has his knees touching together sometimes. He brings the ball way far above his head. It takes away the vision of his jump shot for quite some time, and it's why that he shot under 30% from three in college. I think he shot 35% from, uh, from three-point range in high school, which is fine. Now, it's not great in high school. It's fine, though. And so in college, I just feel like if you're able to maybe move that ball to the right, don't allow him to get it over his head so much. It's a long release, man. It takes a long time. But he's shown that he can hit it every once in a while. I think that he can be a reliable mid-range shooter. It's just in today's day and age, you heard Jared mention it in a little bit of his analysis, that this is a three-point shooting era of basketball. And so the shot has to worry you, especially because we're so gun-shy off of Malik Monk. And Malik Monk could shoot coming out of college. The dude was lights out in college. And Malik Monk, a guy that a lot of his talent was predicated on the jump shot, we're, we're gun-shy with Malik. We're kind of gun-shy with MKG. We got through it with Kimba. You know, it's we, we've kind of been on a little bit on a roller coaster with Kimba's success, but also MKG and Malik Monk just never, at least now, not being able to figure out the jump shot yet. Like, Malik Monk can still be able to hit some shots. He's just been very inconsistent. So we'll see, man. I just Romeo Langford is a guy. He's crafty. I guess if you were to just kind of summarize it real quickly, he's very crafty, and I do like that. I do think that will translate in the NBA. With his lack of explosiveness, I do think that his scoring ability in the paint, he did finish very well inside two-point range. I do think that will translate. I just wonder how the jump shot will ever be fixed. Defensively, he seems out of it sometimes. And the athleticism, overall athleticism, I just hope that it, it never becomes apparent like, yeah, that dude's just not a very good athlete. We, we can contain him. We can hold on to him. So we'll see exactly how all that works at the number 12 overall uh, selection. But again, it, it makes sense that maybe he would be in consideration, especially with James Borrego. Just mentioning yesterday, like we played, about finding that secondary playmaker. Can play make a little bit. 
So we'll see, man. Thanks again for listening to us on the Locked On Hornets podcast, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Hornets. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts, including the Himalaya Podcast app. Just search Locked On Hornets. We'll have Doug hopefully on with us tomorrow. We got Nada for Fire Friday. Thanks again for listening to us this week.